Chapter Two of the Chronicles of Count Antonio by Anthony Hope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brett Downey. Count Antonio and the Traitor Prince. Of all the deeds that Count Antonio of Monte Velluto did during the time that he was an outlaw in the hills, for a price had been set on his head by Duke Valentine, there was none that made greater stir nor struck more home to the hearts of men, howsoever they chose to look upon it than that which he performed on the high hill that faces the wicked gate on the west side of the city, and is called now the Hill of Duke Paul. Indeed, it was the act of a man whose own conscience was his sole guide, and who made the law which his own hand was to carry out, that it hath been a crime in most men, who can doubt, that it was a crime in him, all governments must hold, and the same, I take it, must be the teaching of the church, yet not all men held it a crime, although they had not ventured it themselves, both from the greatness of the person whom the deed concerned, and also from the burden that it put on the conscience of him that did it. Here, then, is the story of it, as it is still told both in the houses of the noble and in peasants' cottages. While Count Antonio still dwelt at the court, and had not yet fled from the wrath aroused in the duke by the count's attempt to carry off the Lady Lucia, the duke's ward, the nuptials of his highness had been celebrated with great magnificence and universal rejoicing, and the feasting and exultation had been most happily renewed on the birth of an infant prince a year later. Yet heavy was the price paid for this gift of heaven, for Her Highness the Duchess, a lady of rare grace and kindliness, survived the birth of her son only three months, and then died amidst the passionate mourning of the people, leaving the Duke a prey to bitter sorrow. Many say that she had turned his heart to good had she but lived and that it was the loss of her that soured him and twisted his nature. If it be so, I pray that he has received pardon for all his sins, for his grief was great, and hardly to be assuaged even by the love he had for the little prince, from whom he would never be parted for an hour, if he could contrive to have the boy with him, and in whom he saw, with pride, the heir of his throne. Both in the joy of the wedding and the grief at the Duchess's death, none had made more ostentatious sign of sharing than his highness's brother, duke paul yet hollow alike were his joy and his grief save that he found true cause for sorrow in that the duchess left her husband a dear memorial of their brief union paul rivalled the duke in his caresses and his affected love for the boy but he had lived long in the hope that his highness would not marry and that he himself should succeed him in his place and this hope he could not put out of his heart nay as time passed and the baby grew to a healthy boy paul's thoughts took a still deeper hue of guilt it was no longer enough for him to hope for his nephew's death or even to meditate how he should bring it about one wicked imagining led on as it is wont in our sinful nature to another and satan whispered in paul's ear that the duke himself was short of forty by a year and that to wait for power till youth were gone was not a bold man's part and that to contrive the child's death leaving his father alive was but to double the risk without having the guilt thus paul was induced to dwell on the death of both father and son and to say to himself that if the father went first the son would easily follow and that with one cunning and courageous stroke the path to the throne might be cleared while paul pondered on these designs there came about the events which drove count antonio from the court and no sooner was he gone and declared in open disobedience and contumacy against the duke than paul seeking a handle for his plans seemed to find one in Antonio. Here was a man driven from his house, which the duke had burnt, despoiled of his revenues, bereft of his love, 
proclaimed a free mark for whosoever would serve the duke by slaying him where could be a better man for the purposes of a malcontent prince and the more was paul inclined to use antonio from the fact that he had shown favor to antonio and had been wont to seek his society so that antonio failing to perceive the dark depths of his heart was loyally devoted to him and had returned an answer full of gratitude and friendship to the secret messages in which paul had sent him condolence on the mishap that had befallen him now in the beginning of the second year of count antonio's outlawry his highness was most mightily incensed against him not merely because he had so won the affection of the country folk that none would betray his hiding-place either for threats or for reward but most chiefly by the reason of a certain act which was in truth more of tomasino's doing than of antonio's for tomasino meeting one of the duke's farmers of taxes had lightened him of his fat bag of money saying that he would himself assume the honor of delivering what was fairly due to his highness and had upon that scattered three-fourths of the spoil among the poor and sent the beggarly remnant privily by night to the gate of the city with a writing there is honor among thieves who then may call princes thieves and this writing had been read by many and the report of it spreading through the city had made men laugh therefore the duke had sworn that by no means should antonio gain pardon save by delivering that insolent young robber to the hands of justice thus he was highly pleased when his brother sought him in the garden for he sat in his wonted place under the wall by the fish-pond and bade him listen to a plan whereby the outlaws should be brought to punishment the duke took his little son upon his knees and prayed his brother to tell his device you could not bring me a sweeter gift than the head of tomasino said he stroking the child's curls and the child shrank closer into his arms for the child did not love paul but feared him antonio knows that i love your highness said paul seating himself on the seat by the duke but he knows also that i am his friend and a friend to the lady lucia and a man of tender heart would it seem to him deep treachery if i should go privately to him and tell him how that on a certain day you would go forth with your guard to camp in the spurs of mount anino leaving the city desolate and that on the night of that day i could contrive that lucia should come secretly to the gate and that it should be opened for her so that by a sudden descent she might be seized and carried safe to his hiding-place before aid could come from your highness but what should the truth be asked valentine the truth should be that while part of the guard went to the spurs of the mount the rest should lie in ambush close inside the city gates and dash out on antonio and his company it is well if he will believe then paul laid his fingers on his brother's arm as the clock in the tower of the cathedral strikes three on the morning of the fifteenth of the month do you dear brother be in your summer-house at the corner of the garden yonder and i will come thither and tell you if he has believed and if he has come for by then i shall have learnt from him his mind and we two will straightway go rouse the guards and lead the men to their appointed station and when he approaches the gate we can lay hands on him how can you come to him for we do not know where he is hid alas there is not a rogue of a peasant that cannot take a letter to him yet when i question them i though i beat them they know nothing cried valentine in chagrin truly the sooner we lay him by the heels the better for our security shall it be then as i say my lord so let it be said the duke i will await you in the summer-house paul perceiving that his brother had no suspicions of him and would await him in the summer-house held his task to be already half done for his plan was that he and antonio should come together to the summer-house but that antonio should lie hid till paul had spoken to the duke 
then paul should go out on pretext of bidding the guard make ready for the ambush and leave the duke alone with antonio antonio then suddenly springing forth should slay the duke while paul and when he thought on this he smiled to himself would so contrive that a body of men should bar antonio's escape and straightway kill him thus should he be quit both of his brother and of antonio and no man would live who knew how the deed was contrived and then said he i doubt whether the poor child bereft of all parental care will long escape the manifold perils of infancy thus he schemed and when he made all sure and noised about the duke's intentions touching his going to the spurs of mount anino he himself set forth alone on his horse to seek antonio he rode till he reached the entrance of the pass leading to the recesses of the hills there he dismounted and sat down on the ground and this was at noon on the thirteenth day of the month he had not long been sitting when a face peered from behind a wall of moss-covered rock that fronted him and paul cried is it a friend a friend of whom mean you my lord came from the rock of whom else than of count antonio cried paul a silence followed and a delay then two men stole cautiously from behind the rock and in one of them paul knew the man they called benna who had been of the duke's guard the men knowing paul bowed low to him and asked him his pleasure and he commanded them to bring him to antonio they wondered knowing not whether he came from the duke or despite the duke but he was urgent in his commands and at length they tied a scarf over his eyes and set him on his horse and led the horse thus they went for an hour then they prayed him to dismount saying that the horse would go no farther and though paul's eyes saw nothing he heard the whinnying and smelt the smell of horses here are your stables then said he and dismounted with a laugh then benna took him by the hand and the other guided his feet and climbing up steep paths over boulders and through little watercourses they went till at length benna cried we are at home my lord and paul tearing off his bandage found himself on a small level spot ringed round with stunted wind-beaten firs and three huts stood in the middle of the space and before one of the huts sat tomasino composing a sonnet to a pretty peasant girl whom he had chanced to meet that day for tomasino had ever a hospitable heart but seeing paul tomasino left his sonnet and with a cry of wonder sprang to meet him and paul took him by both hands and saluted him that night and the morning that followed paul abode with antonio eating the good cheer and drinking the good wine that tomasino who had charged himself with the care of such matters put before him whence they came from paul asked not nor did tomasino say more than that they were offerings to count antonio but whether offerings of free will or necessity he said not and during this time paul spoke much with antonio privily and apart persuading him of his friendship and telling most pitiful things of the harshness shown by valentine his brother to the lady lucia and how the lady grew pale and peaked and pined so that the physicians knit their brows over her and the women said no drugs would patch a broken heart thus he inflamed antonio's mind with a great rage against the duke so that he fell to counting the men he had and wondering whether there were forced to go openly against the city but in sorrow paul answered that the pikemen were too many but there is a way and a better said paul leaning his head near antonio's ear a way whereby you may come to your own again and rebuild your house that the duke has burnt and enjoy the love of lucia and hold foremost place in the duchy what way is that asked antonio in wondering eagerness indeed i am willing to serve his highness in any honourable service if by that i may win his pardon and come to that i long for his pardon 
when did he pardon sneered paul to know honest men and leave them in their honesty is the last great gift of villainy but paul had it not and now he unfolded to antonio the plan that he had made saving as needs not be said that part of it whereby antonio himself was to meet his death for a pretext he alleged that the duke oppressed the city and that he paul was put out of favor because he had sought to protect the people and was fallen into great suspicion yet judging antonio's heart by his own he dwelt again and longer on the charms of lucia and on the great things he would give antonio when he ruled the duchy for his nephew for of the last crime he meditated the death of the child he said not then professing to love the child when the tale began a sudden start ran through antonio and his face flushed but he sat still and listened with unmoved face his eyes gravely regarding paul the while no anger did he show nor wonder nor scorn nor now any eagerness but he gazed at the prince with calm musing glance as though he considered of some great question put before him and when paul ended his tale antonio sat yet silent and musing but paul was trembling now and he stretched out his hand and laid it on antonio's knee and asked with a feigned laugh that choked in the utterance well friend antonio is it a clever plan and will you ride with me minute followed minute before antonio answered at length the frown vanished from his brow and his face grew calm and set and he answered duke paul saying it is such a plan as you my lord alone of all men in the duchy could make and i will ride with you then paul in triumph caught him by the hands and pressed his hands calling him a man of fine spirit and a true friend who should not lack reward and all this antonio suffered silently and in silence still he listened while paul told him that a path led privately from the bank of the river through a secret gate in the wall to the summer-house where the duke was to be of this gate he alone saving the duke had the key they had but to swim the river and enter by this gate having hidden antonio paul would talk with the duke then he would go and carry off what remained of the guard over and above those that were gone to the hills and antonio having done his deed could return by the same secret path cross the river again and rejoin his friends and in a short space of time paul would recall him with honor to the city and give him lucia to wife and if there be a question as to the hand that dealt the blow there is a rascal whom the duke flogged but a few days since a steward in the palace he deserves hanging antonio for a thousand things of which he is guilty and it will trouble me little to hang him for one whereof he chances to be innocent and duke paul laughed heartily i will ride with you said antonio again then it being full midday they sat down to dinner paul bandying many merry sayings with tomasino antonio being calm but not uncheerful and when the meal was done paul drank to the good fortune of their expedition and antonio having drained his glass said may god approve the issue and straightway bade tomasino and martolo prepare to ride with him then paul being again blindfolded they climbed down the mountain paths till they came where the horses were and thus as the sun began to decline set forward at a fair pace duke paul and antonio leading by some few yards while tomasino martolo having drunk well and sniffing sport in front of them sang jested and played pranks on one another as they passed along but when night fell they became silent even tomasino turned grave and checked his horse and the space between them and the pair who led grew greater so that it seemed to duke paul that he and antonio rode alone through the night under the shadows of the great hills once and again he spoke to antonio first of the scheme then on some light matter but antonio did no more than move his head in assent 
and Antonio's face was very white, and his lips were close shut. It was midnight when Duke Paul and Antonio reached the plain. The moon, till now hidden by the mountains, shone on them, and seeing Antonio's face more plainly, Paul cried, half in jest, half in uneasiness, Come, man, look not so glum about it. Tis but the life of a rogue. Indeed, it is no more, said Antonio, and he turned his eyes on Duke Paul. Paul laughed, but with poor merriment. Whence it came he knew not, but a strange, sudden sense of peril and of doom had fallen on him. The massive, quiet figure of Antonio, riding ever close to him, silent, stern, and watchful, oppressed his spirit. Suddenly Antonio halted and called to Martolo to bring him a lantern. One hung from Martolo's saddle, and he brought it, and went back. Then Antonio lit the lantern and gave an ivory tablet to Paul, and said to him, Write me your promise. You distrust me, then? cried Paul, in a great show of indignation. I will not go till you have written the promise. Now Paul was somewhat loath to write the promise, fearing that it should be found on Antonio's body before he could contrive to remove it. But without it Antonio declared he would not go. So Paul wrote, bethinking himself that he held safe in his house at home permission from the duke to seek Antonio and beguile him to the city, and that with the witness of this commission he could come off safe, even though the tablet were found on Antonio. Taking the peril then, rather than fail, he wrote, setting out the promises he made to Antonio in case, thus he phrased it, of the death of his brother. And he delivered the tablet to Antonio, and Antonio, restoring the lantern to Martolo, stowed the tablet about him, and they set forth again. As the clock in the tower of the cathedral, distantly booming in their ears, sounded the hour of two, they came to where the road parted. In one direction it ran level across the plain to the river and the city, and by this way they must go if they would come to the secret gate and thence to the duke's summer-house. But the second road left the plain and mounted the hill that faces the wicked gate, which is now called the Hill of Duke Paul. And at the parting of the road Antonio reined in his horse and sat silent for a great while. Again Paul, scanning his face, was troubled, so that Martolo, who had drawn near, saw him wipe a drop from his brow. And Paul said, For what wait we, Antonio? Time presses, for it is gone two o'clock. Then Antonio drew him apart, and fixing his eyes on him, said, What of the child? What mean you by the child? How does it profit you that the father die, if the child live? Paul, deeming that Antonio doubted him, and saw a snare, and holding it better to seem the greatest of villains than to stir suspicion in a man who held him in his hands, smiled cunningly and answered, The child will grow sickly and pine when his father is not alive to care for him. It is enough, said Antonio, and again a flush mounted on his face and died down again and left him pale. For some think he would have turned from his purpose had Paul meant honestly by the child. I know not. At least the foul murder plotted against the child made him utterly relentless. Let us go on and end the matter, urged Paul, full of eagerness, and again of that strange uneasiness born of Antonio's heir. Ay, we will go on and finish it, said Antonio. With that he leapt down from his horse. Paul did the like, for it had been agreed that the others, with the horses, were to await Antonio's return, while the Count and Paul went forward on foot, and Tomasino and Martolo, dismounting also, tied the horses to trees and stood waiting Antonio's orders. "'Forward!' cried Paul. "'Come, then,' said Antonio, and he turned to the road that mounted the hill. "'It is by the other road we go,' said Paul. "'It is by this road,' said Antonio, and he raised his hand and made a certain sign, 
whereat the swords of his friends leapt from their scabbards, and they barred the way, so that Duke Paul could turn nowhere save to the road that mounted the hill. Then Paul's face grew long, drawn and sallow with sudden fear. What means this? he cried. What means this, Antonio? It means, my lord, that you must mount the hill with me, answered Antonio, even to the top of it, whence a man can see the city. But for what? That this matter may be finished, said Antonio. And coming to Paul, he laid a hand on his shoulder, and he turned him to the path up the hill. But Paul, seeing his face and the swords of Tomasino and Martolo that barred all escape, seized his hand, saying, Before God, I mean you true, Antonio. As Christ died for us, I mean you true, Antonio. Of that I know not, and care not. Yet do not swear it now by Christ's name, if it be not true. How meant you, my lord, by your brother and your brother's son? Paul licked his lips, for they had gone dry, and he breathed as a man pants who has run fast and far. You are three to one, he hissed. We shall be but man to man on top of the hill, said Antonio. Then suddenly Tomasino spoke unbidden. There is a priest in the village a mile away, said he, and there was pity in his voice. Peace, Tomasino. What priest has he provided for his brother? And Tomasino said no more, but he turned his eyes away from the face of Duke Paul. Yet when he was an old man, one being in his company heard him say that he dreamed yet of it. As for Martolo, he bent his head and crossed himself. Then Paul threw himself on his knees before Antonio and prayed him to let him go. But Antonio seemed not to hear him, and stood silent with folded arms. Yet presently he said, Take your sword then, my lord. If I fall, these shall not touch you. This much I give, though it is more than I have right to give. But Paul would not take his sword, but knelt, still beseeching Antonio with tears, and mingling prayers and curses in a flow of agonized words. At last Antonio plucked him from the ground, and sternly bade him mount the hill. And finding no help, he set out, his knees shaking beneath him, while Antonio followed close upon him. And thus Tomasino and Martolo watched them go, till the winding of the path hid them from view, when Martolo fell on his knees, and Tomasino drew a breath as though a load had rested on his chest. It was but a short way to the summit, but the path was steep, and the two went slowly, so that, as they came forth on the top, the first gleam of dawn caught them in its pale light. The city lay grey and drab below them, and the lonely tree that stands to this day upon the hill swayed in the wind with mournful murmurings. Paul stumbled and sank in a heap on the ground, and Antonio said to him, If you will, pray, and went and leant against a bare trunk of the tree a little way apart. But Paul, thinking on man's mercy, not on God's, crawled on his knees across the space between and laid hold of Antonio's legs, and he said nothing, but gazed up at Antonio. And, at the silent appeal, Antonio shivered for an instant. But he did not fly the gaze of Paul's eyes, but looked down on him and answered, You must die. Yet there is your sword, and there a free road to the city. Then Paul let go of Antonio's legs and rose, and drew his sword. But his hand was trembling, and he could scarce stand. Then Antonio gave to him a flask that he carried, holding strong waters, and the wretch, drinking greedily, found some courage, and came suddenly at Antonio before Antonio looked for his attack. But the Count eluded him, and drawing his blade awaited the attack. And Paul seized again the flask that he had flung on the ground, and drained it, and mad now with the fumes, rushed at Antonio, shrieking curses and blasphemies. The sun rose on the moment that their blades crossed, and before its rays had shown a minute, Antonio had driven his sword through the howling wretch's lung, and Duke Paul lay dying on the grassy hill. 
then count antonio stripped off his doublet and made a pillow of it for paul's head and sat down by him and wiped his brow and disposed his body with such ease as seemed possible yet he took no pains to staunch the blood or to minister to the wound for his intent was that paul should die and not live and paul lay some moments on his back then twisted on his side once he flung his legs wide and gathered them again under his body and shivered turning on his back again and his jaw fell and he died there on top of the hill and the count closed his eyes and sat by him in silence for many minutes and once he buried his face in his hands and a single sob shook him but now it was growing to-day and he rose and took from the duke's waist the broad silken band that he wore wrought with golden embroidery on a ground of royal blue then he took paul in his arms and set him upright against the trunk of the tree and encircling the tree and body with the rich scarf he bound the corpse there and he took the ivory tablet from his belt and tied the ribbon that hung through a hole in it to the ribbon of the order of st prision that was round paul's neck and he wrote on the tablet witness my hand antonio of monte Velluto. and he wiped the blade of his sword long and carefully on the grass till it shone pure clean and bright again then he gazed a while at the city that grew now warm and rich in the increasing light of the sun and turned on his heel and went down the hill by the way that he had come at the foot tomasino and martolo awaited him and when he came down alone martolo again signed the cross but tomasino glanced one question and finding answer in antonio's nod struck his open palm on the quarters of duke paul's horse and set it free to go where it would and the horse being free started at a canter along the road to the city and antonio mounted and set his face again toward the hills for a while he rode alone in front but when an hour was gone he called to tomasino and on the lad joining him talked with him not gaily indeed that could not be yet with calmness and cheerfulness on the matters that concerned the band but paul's name did not cross his lips and the manner in which he had dealt with paul on the hill rested unknown till a later time when count antonio formally declared it and wrote with his own hand how duke paul had died thus then count antonio rode back to the hills having executed on the body of paul that which seemed to him right and just long had duke valentine waited for his brother in the summer-house and greatly wondered that he came not and as the morning grew and yet paul came not the duke feared that in some manner antonio had detected the snare and that he held paul a prisoner for it did not enter the duke's mind that antonio would dare to kill his brother and when it was five o'clock the duke heavy-eyed for want of sleep left the summer-house and having traversed the garden entered his cabinet and flung himself on a couch there and notwithstanding his uneasiness for his brother being now very drowsy he fell asleep but before he had slept long he was roused by two of his pages who ran in crying that duke paul's horse had come riderless to the gate of the city and the duke sprang up smiting his thigh and crying if harm has come to him i will not rest till i have antonio's head so he mustered a party of his guards some on horseback and some on foot and passed with all speed out of the city seeking his brother and vowing vengeance on the insolence of count antonio but the duke was not first out of the city for he found a stream of townsmen flocking across the bridge and at the end of the bridge was a gathering of men huddled close round a peasant who stood in the centre the pikeman made a way for his highness and when the peasant saw him he ran to him and resting his hand on the neck of the duke's horse as though he could scarce stand alone he cried pointing with his hand to the hill that rose to the west the duke paul the duke paul and no more could he say give him a horse one of you and let another lead it cried the duke 
and forward gentlemen whither he points thus they set forth and as they went the concourse grew some overtaking them from the city some who were going on their business or for pleasure into the city turning and following after the duke and his company so that a multitude went after valentine and the peasant and they rode together at the head and the duke said thrice to the peasant what of my brother but the peasant who was an old man did but point again to the hill at the foot of the hill all that had horses left them in charge of the boys who were of the party for the duke presaging some fearful thing would suffer none but grown men to mount with him and thus they went forward afoot till they reached the grassy summit of the hill and then the peasant sprang in front crying there there and all of them beheld the body of duke paul bound to the tree by the embroidered scarf and his head fallen on his breast and the ivory tablet hanging from the ribbon of the order of st prision and a great silence fell on them all and they stood gazing at the dead prince but presently duke valentine went forward alone and he knelt on one knee and bowed his head and kissed his brother's right hand and a shout of indignation and wrath went up from all the crowd and they cried whose deed is this the duke minded them not but rose to his feet and laid his hand on the ivory tablet and he perceived that it was written by duke paul and he read what paul had written to antonio how that he the duke being dead antonio should come to his own again and wed lucia and hold foremost place in the duchy and this read the duke read also the subscription of count antonio witness my hand antonio of montevelluto then he was very amazed for he had trusted his brother yet he did not refuse the testimony of the ivory tablet nor suspect any guile or deceit in antonio and he stood dry-eyed looking on the dead face of duke paul then turning round he cried in a loud voice so that every man on the hill heard him behold the body of a traitor and men looked on him and from him to the faces of one another asking what he meant but he spoke no other word and went straight away down the hill and mounted his horse again and rode back to the city and having come to his palace he sent for his little son and went with him into the cabinet behind the great hall where the two stayed alone together for many hours and when the child came forth he asked none concerning his uncle the duke paul now all the company had followed down from the hill after the duke and no man dared to touch the body unbidden two days passed and a great storm came so that the rain beat on paul's face and the lightning blackened it but on the third day when the storm had ceased the duke bade the lieutenant of the guard to go by night and bring the body of paul and the lieutenant and his men flung a cloak over the face and having thus done brought the body into the city at the break of day yet the great square was full of folk watching in awe and silence and they took the body to the cathedral and buried it under the wall on the north side in the shade of a cypress tree laying a plain flat stone over it and duke valentine gave great sums for masses to be said for the repose of his brother's soul yet there are few men who will go by night to the hill of duke paul and even now when i write there is a man in the city who has lost his senses and is an idiot he they say went to the hill on the night of the fifteenth of the month wherein paul died and came back mumbling things terrible to hear but whether he went because he lacked his senses or lost his senses by reason of the thing he saw when he went i know not thus died duke paul the traitor yet though the duke his brother knew what was done upon him was nothing else than he had deserved and should have suffered had he been brought alive to justice he was very wroth with count antonio holding it insolence that any man should lay hands on one of his blood and of his own will execute sentence upon a criminal of a degree so exalted therefore he sent word to antonio that if he caught him he would hang him on the hill from the branches of the tree to which antonio had bound paul 
and would leave his body there for three times three days and this message coming to antonio he sent one privily by night to the gate of the city who laid outside the gate a letter for the duke and in the letter was written god chooses the hand all is well and count antonio abode still an outlaw in the mountains and the lady lucia mourned in the city end of chapter recording by brett downey